love the Word of God. Man, I just love when we said in communion how you know the Word of God is nourishment for our soul. Jesus is the, the bread of life. It's just when you take this in and you take it in regularly, you, you are living your life from a place of overflow. Does that make sense? Like I think a lot of times people are trying to pull from an empty well. They're trying to pull from a place that hasn't really been filled up. And this is, this is river of living water right here. And your life demands that you pull from that life spring, that river of living water, so that when you're living in situations and circumstances every single day, you're living out of this place right here, a full cup that you pull, and you're always fresh and ready to meet whatever challenge it is that awaits you. That's the purpose-filled life God's called us to live and that he's equipped us to be able to live because he gives us this right here. Amen. That's the pre-message message. Okay, all right. All right, we're going to start out today in Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to read a number of verses here that are telling the story of a scene. It's a scene of when Jesus is on trial in particular, this part describes how there is the exchange between Jesus and Barabbas, a prisoner who is let free from his punishment, uh, and Jesus is sent to the cross. All right, we're going to kind of build our, our message today around this story. So, Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when he had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Let the governor, and then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And we had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we approach you humbly. God, we approach you humbly before your banquet table. And we ask that you would just feed us, God, with the bread of life today. Impart to us, speak to us, reveal transforming truths, God, that have the power to completely change our lives. I ask that you just anoint me in these moments ahead. I am under no illusion, God, that I can do anything apart from you. I have no transformational ability in me 
I need you to work through me, God. I yield to you and I ask you, please, God, in the moments ahead, empower me to do what you are calling me to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let me begin by making a statement. And that is that it is critical that we as believers, children of God, live our lives every day under the knowledge and security of our salvation. The hope of eternity for the believer is the hope that anchors us. Does that make sense? Knowing that this is not the end. (laughs) Knowing that there's a glory that yet awaits us. Living every day under the faith and knowledge and assurance of our salvation is critical because it produces a security in our lives, frankly, that we are meant to walk according to. We are not meant to be insecure people. We're meant to be very secure in our identity and who we are in Christ and what we have as a rightful inheritance because of that. And I think many times people kind of bounce back and forth. They struggle. They go sort of in and out. They want to be secure. They want to feel secure. But if they're honest, really, they would admit that they're very insecure people. And they live from a place of insecurity more than they live from a place of security. And the whole concept of salvation, the whole concept of what Jesus died for us to have is a concept of redemption. It's a concept meaning we've been bought. Redemption means to be bought and to be purchased at a price And it means to have value immediately transferred to a thing. And when we really live under the knowledge and understanding and assurance every day of our salvation, of our redemption, that we've been bought and that we're valuable, we're we're priceless because Jesus' blood has made us priceless. When we understand the value that we hold in the eyes of our loving Father, it will cause us to live from a place of strength and security so that we can fulfill the purpose that God has created us for. We are meant to be a strong people. Do you know that? Strong and secure. There's not this threat that we live under every day, not supposed to be, at least, where the world and the enemy can rock us off of this thing, knock us off of our footing. I'm I'm good, I'm not. I'm secure, I'm not. That's not a picture of a faith-filled life. I mean, we'll face storms and trials, yes, absolutely, but with our, firm, our feet firmly rooted on solid ground. I am who I am because of the grace of God, and I'll do what I do because of the grace of God, and the grace of God is abundant in my life, and it's always flowing. I'm never out, un, out from under that. I'm never away from that. You understand? And so the security and Knowing and living every day under the assurance of our redemption that we've been bought at a precious price and because of that, value has been transferred to us. Value in the eyes of the Father. Now this story of Jesus and Barabbas I find very interesting because really when you look at the Bible and you read all through the Bible, 
everything tells the story of Jesus. Everything, in a way, talks to, about, points to, speaks about the work that was done. It, it, it all revolves around Jesus. In fact, that's a good tip when you're reading the scriptures. This is good for study. Is Where is Jesus in this? Because he's always in it. And if you're looking for Jesus in that, it's going to give you deeper revelation, deeper understanding, and help you really get what you need further to live your life the way you need to. And so all the scripture talks about Jesus. And this story between Jesus and Barabbas is a very powerful precursor, uh, figurative, if you will, uh, story of redemption. Now, a lot of times we see Barabbas and we see this criminal, right? And we see this guy that's guilty. In fact, the Bible says in another gospel, another account in Luke's account, I believe, of this story that, that Barabbas was guilty of sedition and murder. So he was a rebel and he kind of led the way in an uprising or was a part of a revolt against the Roman authorities. And in the, in the uprising, uh, he killed a man. And so he was found guilty and he was imprisoned and he was going to be, no doubt, sentenced to death. And so we see this and we think, man, Barabbas, he's this bad guy, you know, he's this horrible dude and he gets set free. And we think, gosh, why? Why Barabbas? That's not fair. You know, he's guilty. He's a murderer. Jesus is innocent. He's getting put to death. It's just part of us. I don't know about you, but with me, it's like you read that and there's just kind of this inner, inner wrestle, you know, like why Jesus was innocent, Barabbas was guilty. But, but what, if, what if Barabbas, really, the picture here is actually a picture of us? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, what if there's actually a picture here that's a little deeper than what meets the eye? What, what if Barabbas really is a story of us? Let's think about this for just a second. Barabbas is guilty of a crime... And he's imprisoned, he's in bondage, he's in chains. This crime that he's committed is punishable by death. In fact, it's real interesting that he gets let go because by all accounts historically, Romans, even though on the day of the feast they would release a prisoner to the Jews, that was just their way of keeping peace and order and, and appeasing them. Uh, they would never let murderers go. They just wouldn't do that. They wouldn't release a murderer, right? So he's guilty of his crime, sedition, rebellion against authority. You follow where I'm going here? And he is in prison, in bondage, and in chains. He cannot get out unless he is released. There's no way for him to escape, right? Unless somehow something, uh, he is released from his prison. And he is certainly being sentenced to death he has an unpayable debt like some crimes that were committed there was a way that they could pay back the debt sometimes they would go to work and be a servant sometimes their family could work and get them out but this one this is unpayable Barabbas by all accounts is a dead man walking in fact if you're taking notes today that's the title of my message dead man walking and so let's, let's think about us for just a second and let's relate this to Barabbas. We're born into the world in sin. That's rebellion. Against authority. God, the supreme and ultimate authority. We have 
bondage when we're born into the world in sin that we can be set free from. <laughs> and it's an unpayable debt. There is nothing in us, no work, no deed, nothing we could ever offer up on our own that could free us out of this bondage that we are in. And if something doesn't happen, once we are born into this world under the condition of sin, if something doesn't change the condition, then we are dead men walking as well. Because we are bound for an eternal punishment. If some propitiation, atonement, redemption is not offered for us. And then we see Jesus. Jesus comes along fully innocent. In fact, the Jews, they tried to say that the big thing was is that Jesus was blaspheming because he said he's the son of God. But the Romans were like, you, that's your deal. That, you deal with that. The Romans aren't going to deal with a spiritual law. You know, They were like, you deal with that. So they couldn't, that wouldn't hold. And so they accused him of sedition. They said he's inciting the crowds. He's rebelling. He's going to create an uprising. And they wanted to scare the Romans so that the Romans would do something about this because they wouldn't do anything about blasphemy. But Jesus was innocent of that because he was who he said he was, right? He didn't, he didn't try to uprise the crowds against him. He was just bringing the kingdom. So Jesus is innocent. He is the only one qualified to be able to offer up this redemption. Because if there's any other situation, there's no way Barabbas would have ever been let go. But then they, they, the Roman authorities they say, who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? And Pilate is stunned, actually, when they say, Barabbas, release Barabbas to us. Pilate is shocked at this. And he's in a quandary. Because he doesn't know what to do, and he's sensing that if I don't do what they want, this, this could get real ugly. And if it got ugly, then there's a good chance that the Romans would send some troops down, and they would pull Pilate from his position, and he was very position conscious. So he says, okay, and he releases Barabbas. Jesus is now going to suffer for a crime that he didn't commit. Barabbas is released from bondage for a debt that he could have never paid only because Jesus came along. If Jesus doesn't come along and, and enter this situation, Barabbas is a dead man. And let me say this. If Jesus didn't come along and offer redemption for each and every one of us, then we are dead men and women as well. But we've been redeemed. We have been bought and purchased at a precious price. And the blood of Jesus, the, the innocent one, actually was able, it, it's able to wash us and cleanse us, redeem us, folks, from the condition of sin, and it sets us free from the bondage of sin. Now we have hope in eternal life. We have victory in this life. And we are assessed value priceless value because our creator says so hallelujah that is so powerful because when we get that and we understand just how valuable we are how important we are in God's eyes then it can cause us to live in a way where we do not suffer from shame or unworthiness or anything that fights against our souls 
We're priceless because God says that we are. Think about this. If, who, who in here has a mortgage? Okay, so you make your payments every month. Wow, a lot of you, that's awesome. Good for you guys, wow. Whew. Dave Ramsey principles, that work there, right on. Anyway, so you pay your mortgage every month, right? You send this thing. Well, imagine, and some people feel like that's an unpayable debt. Some people feel like you're never going to pay that thing off, right? Imagine if you just get a letter in the mail one day, and you open it up, and it's from your mortgage company, and it says, hey, great news, someone has paid the debt in full. You are no longer indebted on this thing. You own the full value now of what your home is worth, and you never have to pay another debt for the rest of your life. You'd be pretty happy about that, wouldn't you? If you're interested, see me afterwards. I'll give you the information of my mortgage company and the account number. And happy to let you take care of that. But you'd be pretty happy about that. I would be happy about that. But we ought to be a lot more zealous, excited, and happy about the fact that in an unpayable debt... <laughs> that eternity hinges on the balance with has actually been paid in full for us. Paid in full. Not partially. Not just some of it. It's been paid in full. We must understand the full efficacy of the blood of Christ. It washes us clean completely. The condition of sin that we're born in the world. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So we were headed to the grave. We were headed to eternal separation from God for all of eternity. Spiritual death that the Bible refers to. And the blood of Jesus comes along and redeems us, makes us clean, buy, purchase, pays the unpayable debt that we could have never paid. And the judgment is satisfied and we step into a rightful inheritance that's now ours by family status. Listen to this. This is very powerful in Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 it says and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh he Christ has made alive we were dead but now we're alive because of redemption we were we were in death and now we are living spiritually because of what Christ, that's, that's what's been bought for you. That's what's been purchased. That's what redemption means, right? He says that you were alive, he's made you alive together with him, having forgiven you of all your trespasses. Now listen to this. Having wiped out the handwriting requirements that were against us, which were contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Let me explain to you what this means. <laughs> this is powerful. It means that when Jesus went to the cross and he suffered and died, that he took your sin and he nailed it to the cross right there and he left it there. It was paid in full. See, when they would sacrifice or they would crucify prisoners uh, on, on crosses, the Romans, a lot of times what they would do is they would nail their crime to the cross. They would write down what they were guilty of and they would nail it to the cross by the body so that people would come along and they could see what crime this person had committed, what they were guilty of, and what the punishment was for that so that it would deter people from committing other crimes like that. It says Jesus, when he hung on the cross, 
Him who knew no sin became sin for us. This is powerful, folks. It means that he took on the full weight of sin, our sin, on him, and he hung on that tree and became that curse so that our sin could be nailed to that, so that an unpayable debt that we could never compensate for, he just paid in full, and he nailed it there because he left it there, and it's been done, and it's been accounted for to our eternal account. Wow, that is so powerful. It says that whenever... Whenever this happens and we've been bought, we've been redeemed, that we no longer are in a spirit of bondage, but we actually receive a spirit of adoption, meaning God the Father, He buys us, He he adopts us into His family. He says we were foreigners to Him before that, but we become part of His family after that, and because we're part of His family, we actually have a rightful inheritance that comes along with that. Wow, we're part of his family. We have the spirit of adoption, no longer the spirit of bondage. And now we are children of God who have a heavenly father. You know, another thing interesting about Barabbas is his name. I was studying this, and Barabbas, you know, because bar, when you put bar in front of a name, it means the son of. You know, Simon Bar-Jonah, right? Simon Peter, Simon Bar-Jonah, he's the son of Jonah. His dad was named Jonah. Right? So I'm, you know, Matt Barmarty. <laughs> Have some fun with that later, yeah. Uh, Mike Bar Mike. Mike, yeah. It's, it's, but Barabbas is Barabbas, which just means son of a father. There's not a name there. And actually, Abbas, if you, the way it is referred to there, it just means he's just the son of an earthly father. But he has no heavenly father. Son of a father, a fleshly father. We are sons of fleshly fathers too. But when God redeems us, when his blood purchases us, all of a sudden we become children of God, part of a royal inheritance or a family where we have a heavenly father. A heavenly father who knows our needs and watches over us and cares for us in a way that we can never do on our own. That's what he's offering. That's what he wants to provide for us. That's what he wants to give us. And I just look around. I think, man, what, what if, what, how unfortunate if we have this amazing inheritance and this amazing privilege of right standing and value, immense value, because the blood cleanses us and to, to live a life where we struggle with shame and guilt and condemnation that we're under things we're not meant to carry after we've really been bought by the blood it happens and people fight with it and they struggle with it because the enemy he wants to shame people he wants to make them think they're not worthy he uses all kinds of situations in our lives in our circumstances to try to beat people down and discourage them to make them think you're not valuable you're nobody you're not worthy who are you and we shrink back into this place where we question our worth and who we are and then we live from that place how oh, unfortunate god says no you've got to live under the knowledge of your redemption every day you're priceless You've been bought. You're, you're clean. You're my child. You're incredibly valued. There's no place for shame in your life. Those are, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We should, 
We should live that way. There's strength coming out of our lives. This is a very real thing that we struggle with today. Perhaps always have, but it, it, I see it all the time where people, they just they struggle with worth. Uh, they struggle with value. They battle shame. You know, they, they, yeah, I know, I love Jesus, he's forgiven me, but this thing that I did, wait, no, you, something you don't understand, like, did you confess that sin, did you repent of it, did you take it to God, well, then he's forgiven you, you're not under that thing anymore, I mean, you might have to reconcile with people and relationships that you may have damaged because of that sin, but you got, God's forgiven you, you're, you're valuable, you're worthy, you need to live that way, and not let shame beat you down. Cause you to live less full, a less fulfilled, purpose-filled life of what God has really empowered you to be able to have. I I praise God that he has an antidote (laughs) for my condition. That he has a a solution for my sickness. That he has an answer to redeem me when I do trip up or mess up. And believe me, folks, when when God convicts me, man, the first thing I want to do is get right with the blood. I want to get right with God. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me because I don't want to carry that sin unrepented of a step down my destiny. I I want to know God's just setting me free and keeping me free of all that. And I can walk free knowing, man, Lord, I'm valuable because you say I'm valuable. And I'm not, you know, like some grandeur of myself at all. It's just I, I, I see myself as God sees me. And that's valuable. That's priceless. That's a child of God with a rightful inheritance and with a purpose, and he's meaning for you to make an impact here in this world. But the enemy of your soul, he knows if I can shame you. What is shame, really? Unworthiness? Unworthy of the relationship, the presence, the blessings of God. Think about this. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. God created them and they were in their, their perfect condition before sin. It says they were meant to live forever, right? And it says they were naked and unashamed. This is powerful. They're naked, meaning they weren't covered by anything physical. But they were unashamed, which means that they actually were covered. What were they covered by? They were covered by God, by the presence of God in their lives. But what happened as soon as they sinned? As soon as they sinned and they knew that they sinned, it says they ran and they hid themselves. Whoa, they hid themselves from what? From the presence of God. Something that was so pure, so perfect, so right by design, that they just lived in it, they just enjoyed it, they just knew it in fullness every day. They didn't even have any knowledge of a different way. And then sin comes along and it separates them from that covering. And now they want to run and they want to hide from the presence of God because they're ashamed and they feel like they are not worthy anymore. This is the, uh, the attack of the enemy in our lives today. To say, we've been bought, we've been redeemed, the blood of Jesus sets us free. We're in right standing, in right relationship with God. He's the lover of our soul. And the enemy comes along and says, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. Run from that. Get away from that. You're not gonna de- you don't deserve that. Because he wants to drive us out of the presence of God when really God wants to drive us deeper into his presence. <laughs> and they went and they hid themselves and they made fig leaves. Anybody here made a fig suit before? That'd be a funny thing to see, you know. I'm not sure how that would work. 
<clears throat> more like a toga probably. Um, they made suits of fig leaves to try to cover themselves. What's the point of that? They tried to cover themselves. Insufficient. Never works. Man, when he suffers from shame, attempts to cover it with all kinds of garments. I need to get praises from men. I need to appear valuable. I need to prove myself in my accomplishments. I, I need to find value in these things. And all we're doing is trying to make fig suits. We're trying to cover ourselves with something that can never cover us. Does that make sense? And God comes along and he says, no, that's, this is, oh, I just never cease to be amazed by God. I mean, right after the fall and the sin, if you read through Genesis 3, God already begins speaking about his plans of redemption for man. He already starts to speak of the promise of redemption that's yet to come through the seed of woman, which will eventually be Christ. So powerful. But to cover them in this moment, you know what he does? He makes tunics for them out of skin, animal skin. Blood was shed, and skin of an animal was used to cover them. This was a foreshadow, a picture, a powerful precursor of the sacrifice of Christ, because the animal was innocent, Adam and Eve were guilty, and the animal was sacrificed, blood was shed, and then they were covered by the skin of that animal until a greater solution, an ultimate and fulfilled solution would come along. This was a foreshadow of Christ's sacrifice years later in His blood that would be spared. And then we become covered. Covered. It says we put on the garment of righteousness. We wear the garment of praise. There's all this language in the Bible in Revelation that says that we're wearing garments of white linen. What does that mean? It means to be clothed in Christ, <laughs> to be covered. When you study the, the root word of clothed in the Hebrew, kafar, it actually means atonement. To be covered and to be atoned for. God covering us with his blood and he's assessing immense value that we would live out of a place of the knowledge of our redemption. That way we may take our proper place as the sons and daughters that we are of his family, rightfully uh, heirs with everything that Christ has to offer us. You are anything but weak. You are anything but unworthy if the blood of Jesus is covering you. Hallelujah, praise God for that. And when we understand that, when we know that, it causes us to live a different way. There's this story in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus goes to a Pharisee's house to have dinner. And while he's at the Pharisee's house, there's a woman who comes along and says the woman is a sinner. And so likely a prostitute or something like that, the way that it refers to her. And she comes along and she gets in the, the room and she gets over to Jesus and she starts to wash his feet. But she doesn't just wash his feet like the normal way. She takes this very costly oil and she pours it out over his feet. But she's so overcome with how she's, where she's at with Jesus that she's weeping. Her tears are weeping and her tears 
are falling on Jesus' feet. Oil and tears. And she takes her hair and she wipes and cleans his feet and anoints him with this oil on his feet. And the Pharisee's sitting there looking at this and he's thinking all kinds of horrible things like, man, Jesus, what is he, why, why is he doing this? If he knew who this woman was, there's no way that he would permit this. That's what the Pharisee's thinking. And then Jesus, you know, he can read thoughts. And so he's like, why are you thinking that? And I can wonder how that would have, what he must have thought when Jesus said that. Like, whoa, dude, you just read my thoughts, you know? Like, oh, how do you know that? And Jesus says, let me ask you a question. There's two people, parable. Two people, one has a debt of 100 denarii and one has a debt of 50 denarii. And they have the same master then, and the master comes along and he forgives both of them of their debt. They're free from it, redeemed. And which one of those two is more grateful? So the Pharisee was like, well, I suppose the one that he forgave 100 because he forgave more debt. He said, exactly. He said, I came in here and you offered me no water to cleanse me. You didn't anoint me. You offered me no kiss. This woman has anointed my feet with oil. She's washed my feet the entire time with her hair, and she's been kissing my feet the entire time. He says that great is her uh, joy, and she under- great is her sin, and so she loves more. But those who love little, uh, will, or those who are forgiven of little, will love little. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that so people with greater, like more sin, like there's a ranking of sin or something, are forgiven more than people who haven't. That's not what it means. It means that she actually understands the weight of what she's being forgiven from. She grasps the redemption that it's at hand for her soul. And because she grasps it, she's living from a place of joy and thankfulness in a way you're not because you do not understand what you need to be forgiven of and what I'm offering you to be forgiven from. Hallelujah. And folks, when we understand and we live every day under the knowledge of redemption that we've been bought, we've been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. And when we are, it's value immediately. It says righteousness is imputed to us, which means that God just passes it through to us supernaturally because the blood makes a way and he imparts this value to us. We become children of God. We, bought, we ought to be alive with purpose. We ought to be coming against shame or any lie of the enemy or the world in our lives to say we're not worthy and say, no, 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 no. I'm a child of God. I've been covered by the blood. I'm a son and I'm a daughter. I've got a spirit of sonship and adoption, not of bondage. I've been set free. I was a dead man walking, but now I'm alive. Don't I was dead now I live I've been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live but God who lives in me and this life that I now live in the flesh I know I live in faith to the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me that I mean when Paul says these things you understand uh, he's not trying to offer up some like self-help little handbook here He's speaking from a place of transformation and of power and of understanding of what this thing is. I mean, Jesus doesn't come along and offer us a little self-help antidote. 
I mean, he's not trying to give you a little booklet to kind of get you happy for a day and a little pick-me-up, if you will. The world can offer you that. You can get that anywhere out there. Jesus is coming along and saying, I've got redemption for your soul. i got value for you that is going to send you to heaven with me for all of eternity. And I want you to live under that covering of my blood, fully aware of what that means every single day of your life. Because if you do, you'll be like this woman in Luke 7. You'll be so thankful, so extravagant with how you pour yourself out to Jesus because of what he's done for you, because you understand what he's done for you. And people look on and say, wow, this is incredible. And, and you can say, I just know what God has done for me. I just know who I am in Christ. And folks, when we live that way, this is the beauty of it. In a world everybody's insecure so many people are putting up facades fakes phonies not really who they try to be in a world that's do you realize that's a suffering condition that's a suffering condition there's no peace in their soul if they're trying to live that way it's a mirage they're chasing something that they will never get it'll never satisfy them People are hurting and dying. And when, when people of God come along who are secure and redeemed and free and know it and live that way, it, it conflicts with what they're living in, what they know. And they'll say, I, I need that. I need that. There's something different here. And we say, yeah, it's, it's, it's God. It's because of who I am in Christ. And I, I can introduce you to him too. You can know him. And I have a testimony, and I'd like to share that with you. And all these things, they paved the way for more people to be covered by the blood, for more people to know who they are in Christ and be set free once again from an unpayable debt that's holding, that's hanging over their head that they can never pay. They're bound for prison. There's a death sentence waiting for people until they are redeemed by the blood. And we have the ability, the opportunities to come along and say, we have found the antidote. <laughs> I know the solution, and I want to introduce you to the lover of my soul. I want you to know. You, this, it's like Paul said, if you see anything in me, if there's anything to boast about, like, it ain't me. It's Christ in me. But I'll boast in him all day long, he says. I said, I didn't, I didn't come to you in excellent speech, eloquent speech, or persuasion. I, I actually came to you in a demonstration of power by the Spirit of God. There was something so real, so authentic, and so powerful working in me and flowing through me because I just know who I am, that when you tasted it, when you got a glimpse of it, you noticed it and it touched you and it's changing you. And I want to introduce you to the life source of what is providing that to me. Hallelujah, hallelujah.